I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Dope Black Woman podcast, the podcast where we share stories of black excellence as part of our safe digital sisterhood. I'm Leanne Levos. I'm Rashan. You can call me Shan. I'm Livs. This week on the podcast, we're talking to Leanne Lahabis. Welcome back to another episode, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, this week, we have a very special guest. Hey. And it's another Leanne. <laughs> we can't get enough. Hey. The more we can get, the, the more better. the merrier. We just can't get enough of the Leanne. Exactly. So Leanne Lahabis is here music artist, songwriter, and she has a brand new album coming out very, very soon. Thank you so much for being here with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. For those of our listeners who may not be familiar with your music, because Mm -hmm. it's been a while since you've dropped something, how would you describe yourself as a musician? And also something we ask all our guests, what makes you a dope black woman? Oh, well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm the best person to answer that. But, um, yeah, if you're not familiar with my music, I play electric guitar uh, and I like to explore lots of different types of finger-picking rhythms. Um, And then I sing songs about my life or about my feelings. Um, And, I don't know, I got asked today, actually, what I would describe it as. I'd say something like indie R&B, perhaps, mm. um, cont- you know, con- with contemporary jazz influence. <laughs> mm. um, and I'm from South London. And? <laughs> and... Come on. Oh, hey, cool. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know, I feel like it's, this is a nice platform to be proud of being a black woman. Um and I, but I don't know what makes me dope. <laughs> I don't know. I suppose um, my capacity to learn and adapt to my surroundings, <laughs> but being also unapologetic about who that. I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean. Uh, we've all had the kind of privilege of listening to some of your album before it's been released. And, you know, it's interesting that you almost struggle to say what kind of artist you are, because when I was listening, um, you know, at first I thought, oh, this really reminds me of Ari Lennox. And then and then we carried on listening. And like, I was like, oh, this feels like more R&B. Oh, this feels like rock. This feels like indie. Like there was something in there for everyone almost. Do you feel like is it um, is it more difficult for black women that you feel like you have to that there's more of a pressure to pigeonhole what kind of artist you are? Um, I feel like it gets done for us. We get pigeonholed a lot, even without people listening deeply. I find. Um, and I, I don't know, I, generally my own experience is that it, it seems like if you're, if you are black and you're doing kind of slightly alternative to R&B or soul or traditionally black genres, if you're doing anything slightly alternative to that, then it's still seen as just under the umbrella of soul music or under the umbrella of R&B. And I think those boundaries are shifting a lot nowadays, which is really good. 
So there's a lot more open-mindedness when it comes to the types of music that black artists, particularly black women, can do. Um, but yeah, I think it's important to just listen to the content of it, really, and listen to the sounds and what does that person want to be also, you know, what does the artist want to be? And I like to not stay specifically tied to a genre. I like having the freedom to explore all of them because um, my taste itself is very broad. I love music from everywhere um, and I find inspiration everywhere. I find um, it interesting when you talk about what soul meant to you. I was reading something earlier and I think you said something like, um, as long as it's a genuine response to how you're feeling. And I feel like when you listen to your song, Paper Thin, for me, I kept I listened to it loads of times on repeat and it kept reminding me of childhood me just in my room, just singing my heart out. To, but out of, in a way, it reminded me of pain. That might have been what I got from it, but it just reminded me of childhood me just singing my heart out and just zoning the fuck out. Like, you know when you pretend, obviously you sing, so it's a bit different, but as a non-singer, I used to turn on my music video and I'm in my room like, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, Keisha, Keisha, come on, broken heart, girl. I don't want to be And you'd be jamming, like, love, like, all of these tunes. You'd be in your room, singing your fucking yeah. heart out. And it was like, when I listened to Paper Thin, it really kept bringing me back to that childhood memory. And it, when I then read what, mm. soul, what soulful music meant to you, I was like, this makes so much sense. Because I felt like mm. I was, like, re- listening to an audio diary. Do you know what I mean? Like, I felt like it was... You in your room. I can yeah. really envision who I thought the writer was at that point, that point of time in your music. I just wanted to say that I found that really interesting when it came to that song. Wow. I mean, I think, yeah, I love that. I think that that is what that song is to me. That's probably the sort of most vulnerable one on the album that I've made. Maybe ever, actually. I, I feel really... The first time I was playing it publicly, I'd found it really difficult because I was like, oh my God, this is really personal and just really, I don't know, like so about things that I never really talk about openly. Um, so yeah, but that, that for me, yeah, the definition of soul is being very vulnerable in your music and being very honest. And that's all I, I sort of strive for. I feel like it, if, if I can do it and it doesn't really, if it just washes over me and doesn't really mean anything, it doesn't make me feel either way, then that's wrong. I need it to make me feel something, you know, whether it's positive or negative. Yeah, following what Shan said, I was going to say it reminded me of when I was listening to it, it reminded me of taking a long drive in the country and just like being alone in the car and like belting at the top of your lungs and just like singing and crying <laughs> at the same time. Um, um, and so I'm kind of interested, like, cause as you said, there are quite a few different, as Liv said, there are quite a few different influences coming through. Like the last song has a little bit of African drumming. Part of it does feel very R&B-ish. Um, you can definitely hear the guitar in there. And is that something you, did you learn growing, learn, grow up learning the guitar? Or did you, were you self-taught? Like what was music like when you were younger? Like how did you get influenced in that way? I learned guitar, I think quite late. Uh, I started when I was 18 on guitar. Um, but I was, I was interested in music from, from the age of about, from very young age, actually, from like seven, when I started uh, playing the keyboard, my dad, uh, my dad and his family, they all play different instruments. So my dad was very encouraging, you know, like, but but not like pushy, but he introduced me to the idea of playing an instrument. Um, so he just sort of got me this little keyboard when I was seven. It was like a little Yamaha thing. Um, and just sort of left me there with it. He didn't try to do any, you know, didn't try to force me to play it or anything. So I just 
found a way to enjoy my solitary childhood. I was an only child, so I would just be basically in my room playing the keyboard, watching cartoons. Um, And then, yeah, not long after that, I started singing because there was a trend going around my school of of singing songs from Sister Act 2. Um, and I was obsessed with this film. Like, I'm still obsessed with this film. It's one of my favourite films. And I think if it wasn't for that, I probably might not have started singing. So, um, I, yeah, I would, I would sing stuff from that. And I don't know, one day, eventually, playing piano and singing happened. I guess when I was about 11, started to play with the idea of writing songs and poetry to music and stuff. It was all very terrible, by the way. When I was 11, <laughs> was not anything to uh, be recorded. Um, and yeah, throughout secondary school, I just got a bit more confidence because I joined the choir at school. It was always something at home to me that was very private and, you know, I was really shy about singing publicly. So... When I joined the choir at school, I became a bit more confident. And there were lots of other girls like me who wanted to sing and we all sang together and it was joyous. And that was basically what I did throughout my whole secondary school and sixth form until I left school and I wanted to learn guitar finally because I'd seen some girls doing it. I was like, I just, when I was a kid, I could have started learning, but it just... I didn't see any girls playing guitar. So I thought automatically as a seven-year-old, I thought, well, that's just for boys, guitar. Um, So, yeah, when I grew up and saw some badass chicks playing, it inspired me and then I started to learn. And I was mostly self-taught. My dad showed me some stuff. But most of the stuff I learned, honestly, is from YouTube. You can so, learn anything on YouTube. You can, you can literally learn how to build a house literally. on YouTube. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There's everything on there. So big credit to YouTube and things mm. like that. I find it really humbling that you talk about the fact that you didn't learn the guitar until you was 18. Because um, <laughs> sometimes I feel like there is a bit of... Um, unconscious elitism in the music industry that people say oh you know I've been playing this my whole life you know I picked Absolutely. up good, I picked up a guitar before oh, I learned how to gosh. speak and it's like that's all well and good for you but what if what if you couldn't afford instruments in your yeah. household or what if like you you felt like as a woman it wasn't something that was open to you or you know you couldn't afford music lessons so the fact that you picked it up a bit later, you're still able to make beautiful music and achieve, I think is really, is really cool and really inspirational. I felt like even the fact that I had to say that it was late at 18 is like shows that thing that I'm still quite self-conscious and still think that I should, you know, I don't, sometimes I feel like I don't deserve the title of guitarist, you know, because I haven't been playing since I was four years old, you know what I mean? But yeah, but at the same time, it doesn't actually matter. It's like what you get out of the experience and what you make as a result of, you know, having the facility, I guess. I was just going to say, when I used to watch X Factor and everyone used to come, yeah. <laughs> everyone used to come on, oh, so when did you start singing? When I was one and a half, yes. I sang my first hymn in the church choir. And it's like, brother, you couldn't even walk. Yeah. Every single person on X Factor started at one. You can't even barely sit. Do you know what I mean? Like, everyone started before they could even use their knife and forks. And I'm always thinking, like, you lot had some mad birth how you just popped out with a standard at one because, boy. But that's what it reminded me of. It's actually so interesting because if I was watching X Factor today and if I heard someone say, when did you start singing? At 25? I'd be like, what? And actually, what does that mean? Yeah. You, can start, you can start anything at any time. But so it is, a, it is very interesting exactly. that you said I started late. Because even when you said I started late, I was thinking, that's not even that late. Like, that's good. I was thinking that too. I was like, in the grand scheme of my though. life, if I, if I have a long life, you know, it shows that you can just learn stuff at mm. any stage. You can, and, mm. it will, and it will stay in there. 
which mm. is great. I'm happy about that. I remember being so satisfied and really proud of myself for teaching myself a new thing when I felt like almost a fully grown person. Little did I know, 18 is not fully mm. grown. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I realise that now that I'm way past 18. Mm. But it's interesting because, like, you know, the music industry can be very judgmental, you know, especially to women because your age and your youth is so mm. much about your how sellable you are. And then, know. you know, if you were to, for example, if you were to apply to, like, a really prestigious um, music university and they said, oh, how long have you been playing the guitar? You said two years. They'd probably be like... <laughs> two years? You would not you, get you in. Know. You wouldn't get a look in. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah, I mean, I was... Always wished I could have gone to music school. And stuff but don't like you think it would have changed the artist that you were? You would have been because I feel like there's so much more competition there. So if you're by yourself, I feel like you're playing more. You're, you're creating music that's more to like who you are, as opposed to it being like what all these other ideas are telling you to do. Because it kind of links in. When I was um, yeah. again reading up about you know the work you've done in your journey and how your second album that you're mm. releasing was all done basically by yourself. In comparison to the first one, in my head I was thinking she's got so much creative control now because I know from what yeah. I, so the industry that I work in is in music and I know that um, from talking to labels and talking to A and R's I know how much of an input they can yeah. or cannot have sometimes on an artist and sometimes you see these stories yeah. of artists out there who they've been signed to a label and they're pushing out music that they don't want to push out so it's, it's it's such a testament to you to have waited five years and to then still have the confidence to come back but then to have come back by yourself. Because that's such a big risk, yeah. really, with what you're doing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I felt like, um, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, but it, it is, I don't know, it is so obsessed, the, the industry is so obsessed with, you know, young girls. <laughs> and just young people in general, which is fine. But... There are things that you can't possibly know how to deal with. Say you actually get incredibly famous as a young person, just out of, you know, nowhere. It's so, I don't know, it just is so much to deal with. Being like massively famous and then everyone is judging you and then everyone is watching everything you do and then you're not even you're not even 19 yet, you know? I don't know, I just, I feel like it's so, uh, as, you know, as interesting and as as cool as the industry can be, I don't know if there's time for young artists to mature and develop so that they know what they want later on, you know? And I feel like, in my case, I was lucky to to actually have the opportunity to do this now a third time and make an album three times in my life so that the first two I could, you know, I could learn things and I could learn what, who I am and what I like. And I realised, you know, um, even though I'm, I don't consider myself to be mega famous, um, I have had most of my 20s somewhat in the public eye so I'm just I've been growing up and developing and figuring things out and figuring out who I am what I want to be what I like and doing all of that I just think you know imagine imagine it what it's like for someone who's actually really famous and young and it's just you know it's a crazy world out there for to you know to face kind of these unique challenges. That sounds really scary. Um, music. <laughs> it's, pretty, <laughs> it's pretty scary. It's pretty scary. But that's not to discredit any of the amazing parts of it, that all the crazy, you know, all the crazy things that you never think are going to happen as well. It's like, it's absolutely mm. amazing as well. But I'm just saying... You know, this album means a lot because I I feel like I had to figure a lot of shit out mm. <laughs> in order to make this one. So, mm. 
And we should say you're still a young woman. Like, oh, well, still, thank you. You're still very young. Like, yes, I also. That's another thing. I think um, because of the way our minds are conditioned to think that you know anything over twenty five is older. If it's in the music industry, it's like we're still young women. Do you know what I mean? We're still learning things. Thirty is young. People. Oh my god, I hate when people are like oh my god, I'm about to turn 30, I'm old. Or I've heard people say, I'm about oh to turn 23, god. I'm old. And I'm like, oh my <laughs> god, what are you talking about? Like, So yeah, just to, a massive disclaimer. It's the same, you're not old, it's fine, that's it. You're as young as you feel. Yes, exactly. Do you know what's mad? I saw over, so um, the rapper um, Sweetie, it was her birthday, I think a couple of days ago. And someone wrote, oh my God, she looks so good for her age. I didn't realise she was 27. What? And I was like, wow. is this where we're at That's actually Is bad. this where we're at as a society? Is that where we're at? <laughs> I'm afraid that that's where we're at. Yeah, it's mad. Shit. 27. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but that... No, no, no. We've all got to change the narrative here. That's not okay. But obviously, you've had, like, five years of of kind of a, a period of break to kind of reflect and grow. And, like, what does it feel like now coming back into the industry, having had the five years to reflect? What do you feel like you've learned? Do you feel like you're more prepared to navigate the mm. space as a Black woman? mm Well, I feel like I'm always learning things. Um, And I I always, I guess what I've learned is that I don't know anything um, as much as I think I know. And especially when you're younger, you just think you know everything. (laughs) So um, there's that. And also, yeah, how to, I think the best way that I've learned to navigate this industry as a black woman is to just really do you. (laughs) Like, do you the most that you've ever done it. And that's the blessing that um, the last five years has given me, I think, is just to be okay with myself. Like, it's so hard when you're growing up and you're uh, just, you don't, there's so much, especially being a girl as well, Mm. there's just so many more things out there to make us feel really insecure and make us hate ourselves, make us want to change ourselves. And, you know, I guess the last five years have been me just truly accepting myself and learning the things that I like and what do I like to do and, you know, accepting my features and my my natural self and this is what it is and finding beauty in, you know, my imperfection. And that is kind of the thing that I take across my whole life. I like things that aren't perfect. I think they're beautiful. This is the Dope Black Women podcast. As as Shan mentioned, you know, it's been five years since you put something out um why does why does now feel like a good time to to release new music like where would you say you are mentally so in do you feel like you're in a better place and what have you learned why why now basically obviously we all wish that there wasn't a pandemic right now um but what I was saying is I am really I finished it basically and then I thought right, that's cool, I can get rid of it now, (laughs) I can do it, as soon as it was finished, I was like, yeah, it's ready, I'm ready, let's go, Um, but of course, you know, my label and stuff, they want to strategize and make a plan, I just wanted to put the whole thing out, if I'm honest with you, I just wanted to be like, boom, there it is, but um, they wanted to kind of do singles and things like that, and also wait and see, and then, you know, what's going on in the world struck. So we pushed it back a little bit to now, what is next week? Um, But yeah, I just feel, I feel like it's the right time. It represents me now. And I think this is pretty much me for the time being. 
um, until I make something else and discover something else about myself. <laughs> so, yeah. So being a um, a black woman um, in the music industry, I know we've spoken earlier about your relationship with soul music and what soul music means to you. Do you feel like um, when you were releasing music uh, five years ago, were you kind of at the height of your fame, if you like? Um, do you feel like you had troubles with how people wanted to sell you and how people wanted to frame you um, and keeping true to yourself at the same time? Yes, that's, it was all very complicated for me. Um, I feel like people have always been confused about how to market me. Um, And I think it didn't help that I was also confused because of it. Um, So it's usually that, you know, they say, oh, you've got to lead them. You've got to let them know. You just put your foot down. And I was like, okay, but what, what do I need to show them what do I what is my like I said earlier I've always been like what what am I what do I want to do what is this why does my hair do that what are these things so I basically was learning as they were learning but there's lots of things that I already knew that I found you know just the sort of idea that I had to have a that I had to stick to one particular hairdo, for example, to, you know, to make me look memorable or whatever, to have a signature so that people would recognise me. I'm like, uh, well, I used to do my hair in a little bun that was slightly offset to the side. Um, and the reason I did that, honestly, is because I was on a photo shoot one time and I just wanted to get my hair out my face. <laughs> And nothing else was really working. And I did that and it kind of just stuck. And then I guess the label thought, sort of thought, oh, that's a thing that she does. But I was seeing it as that's just a solution that I had one day to my hair issues, which I have every day. So there was a lot of um, just weird stuff around like how I looked and you know, how much skin to show and how to do my hair, particularly my hair is always like a thing. And I realised there's also no like black women around or black people around me at the time, you know, within within the label or the inner workings to someone to just say, look, her hair doesn't always want to do what you want it to do. Um, it, I think back to it and I think, oh, it would have been amazing to have had someone to stand up for me and my hair because I could, I was too, I was too naive to do it myself. I, I, I also didn't like the fact that my hair was frizzy and doing what it wanted. I just wanted it to be sleek and down and straight and all these things. And it took me a really long time to accept that stuff. And I feel, you know, feel a bit sensitive now even talking about it because it's so I don't know a lot of people now like give me a lot of compliments on my hair but you know at the time I was just thinking why can't it just be nice why can't I have a signature look that I can do all the time but it's not it's so much deeper than that but yes I can say loads on it I was just going to say that must be so limiting to just have your hair up in a side bun or a cocked off bun all the time. Like that must be so annoying. Yeah. And it is. Um, Did you, you were just touching on the fact that you didn't have many other like black people around you, hairdressers, et cetera, et cetera. So what was that like walking in on a day-to-day basis, going into a photo shoot and not even feeling comfortable with your own hair, but then having a white hairdresser behind you trying to do things with your hair that, it just, as you said, just don't, doesn't work. Mm. It's, it's really horrible. <laughs> it's been really horrible to, to also just be learning about my own hair and how it behaves. And then at the same time, like finally finding kind of something that sort of works for me and then doing a photo shoot and then just, you know, those bungee Hair bands oh, yeah, yeah, with the yeah, two yeah, hooks yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. on either side. 
Oh, the bubbles. Those are the enemy. <laughs> I just, I thought, how can you be putting that in my hair? You can see my hair. And it just, you know, it just be tears. And I just thought always, if there was a, if there was a black hairdresser there, or if I could request one, I'd always get them to straighten my hair. And it wasn't, you know. Mm. I think it's interesting because, you know, your experience of your hair when you was younger was limited by your own self-love mm-hmm. towards your blackness. And also, I guess, the team you had around you helping you. Whereas I feel like now, people are more mm-hmm. vocal about who their team are. So when you look at a lot of artists, whether it's Stormzy, whether it's Dave, a lot of their team is made up about their friends, or they encourage their teams to be um, black. Obviously, some of them are like, yeah. independent, so it's a bit different. And because of that, they know who they are. But it's, it's, just, it's just quite a shame, really, because yeah. our hair is so versatile. And I think when you have curly hair and it can go straight, if you had someone who was black leading on it, or who even doesn't have to be black but understood black hair, you would have fell in love with your hair more. And you probably would have been more marketable because every other different picture would yeah. have been a, a new That's girl. That's what I'm saying. Do you know what I mean? But Do I you was... want a wig today? Breaks <laughs> tomorrow. Do you know That's what I mean? like... So on the second album campaign, I did meet people that made me fall in love with my hair, that taught me what it was to have this hair and actually how versatile it is and how exciting it is to have wash day and stuff like that. Yes, it's a lot of work, but it's so fun and therapeutic. I remember it it was like there was a sm- there was kind of tension whenever I would want to change my hair style. Do you know what I mean? They'd they'd sort of respond like, "Well, then no one's going to recognize you." And I'm like, I still have the same face, so it's not that big a deal, like if I just have a different hairstyle. Um, but there is one particular thing that happened that for years, I think I sort of just buried it in my subconscious. Um, but like actually how much it affected me and how bad it was. Basically, I discovered the joy of head wraps. So I had my hair done in like a sort of curly roller set or something and um I put a head wrap on it for a gig because I didn't want to I didn't want it to basically you know lose the style so I was protecting it with the head wrap I did this gig and I thought nothing of it and I just loved how it felt I was like yes I've got like it's like a whole look I was really excited and then um I was talking I was discussing with a director a music video for my song Green and Gold, which is obviously about what it's all about, you know, my heritage and going to Jamaica and all these things, you know, my identity, my everything. So we're discussing the concept of having this video where we gradually unwrap my hair in the opening scene. And I just thought that was beautiful. I was so sold on it. And then... Um, what colour was that director? You already know. <laughs> he's actually... It, well, he's actually French. Um, was he black French? Was he white? <laughs> or was he just bare? <laughs> he has an olive skin tone, but he's... He, no, he was not right. black. Is that bad <laughs> then? It's less surprising. No, I was just interested. Because I, I feel like... I feel like you're going to say but. That's what well, I no, the, the crux of it... So that's, of that's interesting, and we should talk about that. But the thing that wasn't good was that basically somebody who I won't name... Name them! I can't, I can't. But somebody, somebody <laughs> commented on... Because I was getting excited. I was like, oh, great, we're going to do the video. Then I was told that the general consensus was I shouldn't be seen in a head wrap in my video. Wow. Because it would be considered too black. Mm. That's mad. That's it's nuts. absolutely insane. Especially because when And now the same people would probably be like, oh, you're so, you know, it's great. You know, you're, you're hair- I love exactly. your hair. Exactly. Like, oh, I love all your different looks that you have. Like, so that happened and I kind of buried it thinking, oh, well, yeah, okay, I, I suppose, yeah, that'll be too black, so I shouldn't do that. And then 
Do they actually say that though? Do they say the words too black? Yes. Mad. Wow. That's mad. Yes. That's so crazy because I they think... also said rootsy. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that <Rootsy>. means. Oh, <laughs> like the film. <laughs> it would be too black and grave now. And Stop it now. Yeah. So I, I remember that happening. And as you can imagine, that I just uh, like I was saying, I was already confused a lot of my life growing up being mixed race and having hair that my mum didn't understand and my dad didn't understand and therefore I didn't understand and being raised by my grandparents and all of this stuff. And then they say, I can't do that. And this one thing I found that's like joy that like helped me. That's mm-hmm. an, another solution. Yeah, I wasn't allowed to do it. So I was finding this always various weird things like, oh, we like it when your hair's got this type of curl. I'm like, you're going to get whatever type of curl it wants to be. Shows up on yeah. the day, huh? <laughs> so, Listen, anyone with black hair knows that you could use the exact same products and the exact same routine. And it's, <laughs> yeah. Trigger warning. It's not amazing. Trigger it's not going to come out how it did yesterday, honey. It's just not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just... So yeah, but I also had to learn that and get to get to embrace that and be okay with it. So, did those experiences make you like have you back up against the wall and kind of like push away from your blackness a little bit and try to find the like neutral, acceptable form of yourself for the masses? I, I guess, I so I just listened to a podcast actually um, <laughs> between Efwa Hirsch and Adoa and they were saying exactly this and I it struck me that I didn't realize that I was probably doing that I was probably believing the the tiny subtle comments you know and judgments that I've grown up with is probably sunk in somewhere where to the point where I thought that I did have to try and contort oh. myself to not be as black as I am, you know? Yeah, and it makes sense, though, because I think if you're saying that you had, before you even came into the industry, you struggled with who you were, yeah. you struggled with confidence, your identity, and then you come in, and the bit about you that you know and seem to love because you want to show off your curls, they're shutting away from you. You can mm. only imagine how damaging that is for a young person. Yeah. To even to even if you came in knowing, okay, this is who I am, blah, 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 blah. So then have all these people telling you, you can't be this, you can't be that, you can't be this. And it's mad because when you think about like microaggressions or stereotypes, mm-hmm. and they're basically telling you to, to, to stare the furthest away you can from stereotypes. If you was to act out, you would then have been stereotyped as an angry black This woman. is the thing. This is the thing as well. Like, it's just that whole thing as well, that whole trope. It's like anyone can get angry about injustice. Do you know what I mean? If you're just angry about something that is clearly wrong, why is it that you get stereotyped as an angry black woman Mm. when it's just wrong? (laughs) That stuff is wrong. You're okay to feel an emotional response to that. So I just, there's just huge flaws everywhere and it's, yeah, it's just, and it, I don't know, it shows there's, there's, there's just not enough, there's not enough black people working in positions of power within the music industry. And there's not enough black women mm. doing that either. And I am still surprised to this day. There's like not one black person working on my project at my label. Oh, wow. You know? Mm. Is that not something you can request though? I don't know. I think there's only one black lady that actually works there as a oh gosh, and in a in a higher thing. I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but you know, mm. it's uh, it's just eye opening, and I think it's all very well and good to, you know, repost on your Instagram as as a label, but what are you actually going to do to to make any meaningful changes happen so that people like me who are younger than me you know if they're getting signed that they can feel 
supported and understood. It's really hard out there because it's definitely a very white dominated industry in the business side of it. Mm. Not there's like there's no lack of black artists. But then, you know, it just ends up feeling like you're getting a bit exploited. Yeah. You know. And is this part of the reason why you decided to make your album by yourself this time around? I think it was to do with that, yeah. Because I was, I mean, there's a lot of catalysts for that. I, I, I loved the process, don't get me wrong, of making that second album. However, there were things that I didn't like, loads of things that I didn't like. And it was mainly to do with not being trusted with my own gauge of quality. Like, I feel like I knew what were good songs and what I wanted to use to represent me and my voice. And, you know, to the point where I'm having an argument saying, or someone at my label was like, oh, um, you only want to make songs for you that you like. Well, duh. And I was, <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, yeah. And then it just turned out that all the ones that I actually really liked and was proud of were also the ones that that they liked. And I was like, what's your point? <laughs> like, now I, I'm making it for you, bitch. Exactly. Now I'm like, you know what? I don't really need anyone to tell me which songs should go on this album. I, I've always known and it's just, I feel like this, uh, the reason I called it my name as well is just, this is stuff I've always wanted to do and who I've always been. It just, I was afraid of it. I wasn't allowed to let it come out for lots of reasons. And now I had the space and the time, as you say, to reflect five years is a long time, but it also goes quickly. So I worked really hard and I just... I just really wanted to find it and it was absolutely painful and euphoric at times and ecstatic and everything in between. But I just, yeah, I just feel like if I can do this, it's important to now I can, you know, I can show other people that you can, you just need to like listen to yourself. Mm. It Don't ignore yourself. Yeah. It's interesting that you mention hair because um, I think a lot of um, white people to this day don't realise, you know, how political it can be. Because when you was talking about your experiences on set and with um, music managers and stuff, it reminded me of the comments that Fleur East has made recently about how she was told that um, she should straighten her hair to appeal more to a white audience. Um and, you know, this idea that it's all about appealing to the white audience rather than the audience that you actually want to appeal to. Yeah. Like, why can't you just appeal? <laughs> why do you have to try to appeal to anyone in particular? Just whoever likes your stuff, likes your stuff. Do you know what I mean? Let them decide. Let them come to you. I don't know. Exactly. I think it's it does them a disservice like you're trying to contrive what they will like you know that's like saying you can't like something because it's curly <laughs> it's just really ridiculous mm. i also feel like if you fix one thing something else will, will inevitably become a problem like if you fix your hair then it might be that you need to lose weight or then it might need to be that you need to make your make sure that your music is less soulful or whatever that's supposed to mean. Like there's always going to be something that you're going to have to address. And it must be so empowering now to be in a space where you can just genuinely do what feels true to you, right? It does. I mean, it feels really, you know, it's amazing. But it was also, it comes with so much responsibility and I'm so sensitive to stuff as well it's like you know I'd rather just sort of sit in a room and make stuff and draw stuff and then occasionally go outside (laughs) um but yeah I just it's it does feel different now though I feel like the response to me being truly myself with no boundary has been something that I've always wanted I feel like people have seen that in me 
But I think it's only now that it's really coming across in a way that I've hoped it would come across, you know, because I am just whatever I am. And it's, you know, it's like like you say, it's it's really difficult being a woman as well, like, because you're just constantly judged on absolutely everything and therefore you're judging yourself on those things and it's hard to remember that it's all right you know you're all gorgeous you're all women so it's you're gorgeous (laughs) and it's fine amen (laughs) i just want to um touch on the um the comments about the brit awards from a couple of years ago because i know this is something that you thought is important to clarify and something that you wanted to kind of make sure that everyone is on the same page about so this is um you know this was back in 2016 um and there was this hashtag going around um brit so white because of a lack of racial diversity in the um nominees for the brit awards um, so for those who, who may not remember this or weren't familiar with it at the time, what, what did you say and what in your head did you actually mean when it happened? Um, yeah, at the time I said that the hashtag was racist. Um, and at the time I think it was, I just thought race, I thought if you are a race then racism can work any which way, basically. And at the time, I wasn't aware that there was a whole... that there was anything called reverse racism or, you know, I didn't know these terms of systemic racism. Um, So I just was looking at it very bluntly and just sort of in my logical brain, I was like, oh shouldn't say that because that means that so that is why I said it and then quickly I was uh educated by a lot of people who saw it on Twitter um and yeah and then two of my close friends as well took me aside after that and we had a big talk and I ended up just learning all this shit that I didn't know, basically. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm obviously not proud of it. And it was a great source of, uh, of pain to sort of receive a backlash like that for something I didn't know about. Um, and for people to think that I, in some way, was was not anti-racist um because obviously I'm black and I just I just thought that was obvious but basically yeah I was just thinking like oh you know and also people were saying oh because you're not nominated don't you feel that that's unfair and I honestly didn't think about it that way I just thought oh you know the Brits is very commercial thing and the people that are nominated have just sold way more records than me. I didn't think about it like, oh, they're, they're, they're just predominantly nominating white people. So then I just basically did loads of research and got off Twitter for a while um, and realised it just opened my eyes to actually the the large amount of inequality in all of these spaces um to the point where I you know where I thought actually yeah like it would have been cool to have been nominated you know but it's that thing as well I just thought well that's fair enough you know I'm not popular or whatever I just sort of accepted like I was saying earlier like you just accept things and then you try to dumb yourself down a bit and just you were sort of I was just very oblivious and I was yeah I was just not aware of of um the the actuality of discrimination in all of these industries or I knew about it it's just that particular thing I just honestly thought I haven't sold that many records so I shouldn't be nominated 
But yeah, I chose the wrong words and I just wish I hadn't said it and I didn't know what I was talking about, basically. I think that's actually a really powerful thing that you've just said because one of the things that we do in terms of dope black women is understanding that black people are not a monolith and that we all are at different stages and that just because you're a black person, it doesn't mean, while you may experience racism, it doesn't mean that you understand it or have the awareness to teach somebody else. And so really the idea that not only white people should be educating themselves, but black people need to educate themselves about systemic racism and about the history of that. And so the fact that you went out of your way to go and actually do the research, I think is quite powerful. And I think something that we could all benefit from, regardless of how much experience we've had with racism or not. Um, But I think now that you have this knowledge, and I guess especially in the light of everything that's happening with Black Lives Matter and George Floyd and Belly and Tostoyin, um, you know, how do you feel about being an artist in these times now? And do you feel like, you know, how do you feel about responding to Black Lives Matter as an artist? I am uh, more than happy to to speak about it and to support the movement. And just not that I didn't support the movement either. I just didn't understand about it. And I didn't, I didn't know about it, but being visible again now um, and releasing music at this time, honestly, it just makes me want to be more visible and show other black women that, you know, this is something you can do regardless of what you are experiencing, you know. Also, you know, I feel like I'm kind of normal person, you know, grew up in a normal household, working class household and just sort of did this. It's quite, it's all quite strange still. Um, But yeah, I do, I guess I didn't realise at the time that there was anybody looking up to me. I just thought, you know, I mean, I still think I'm not really, you know, why, why does anyone... (laughs) what I have to say but um yeah that was something I definitely didn't realize at the time and now I feel just responsible to spread a positive message I guess and just say you know and if I don't know if I can offer some hope and that kind of thing to particularly young girls then that's then that's really good but yeah the the movement is is just so powerful i think it really i'm i'm just in awe of like how widely spread now the message has got and it's it's incredible to see cuz you know it's just people have been saying this for a really long time so it's like it's finally now that it does give me hope that something is going to be different um for the next generation at least maybe if it's not in my lifetime but Mm. but yeah I remember um at the time people were using this phrase that you were problematic Um, And something we've spoken about on the podcast before is cancel culture and how toxic cancel culture can be, especially to black women. Um, And that, you know, oftentimes it's not very helpful just to immediately attack someone rather than to try and educate them about something. Um, So did did you let me know what it was? What was it like for you in that moment? I mean, you realise that you had made a mistake and you went out of your way to educate yourself. But it's like people still want to almost blacklist you for this and to attack you for this. Like, how does it feel to actually experience that? Um, it feels absolutely horrible. Um, I didn't consider myself to be a bad person or a racist or any of the horrible names that people were calling me. Um, so it was quite, yeah, it was really depressing, honestly. I was really 
very sad for a very long time about it. And honestly, like maybe for four years, carrying it around with me, afraid that someone's going to bring it up, afraid that someone is going to directly tweet to me, which they did just before the videos of George Floyd's murder murder circulated. Um, I saw some tweets going around like, hey, you remember what Leanne Havas said? And I just immediately knew what it was. Um, and, you know, it was, it was just it was not nice. And I don't want to... I'm not trying to do this victim thing, but it was just... It was really horrible because I didn't mean... Well, I didn't think I was meaning anything bad by it. You know, you have to be a really actual piece of shit to mean something like that if you know what it means. Do you know what I mean? So I just felt it was a bit... I can understand, obviously, why um, and how it looked. And like I said, I thought I knew everything. I just didn't. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a part of my past that is very painful and wish hadn't happened but I it has happened and I and I now that I've sort of I feel like I've somewhat dealt with it and having opportunities like this to talk about it makes me feel a lot less frightened I guess talking about it um because I just I know I wasn't coming from a bad place and it's just, I think it was hard for a lot of people to fathom that I just honestly didn't know what that meant. Yeah, well, I just want to thank you for being so open with your story and your experience because thank you. the main, um, one of the main messages that Black Women try to get across is that it is a safe space. So mm-hmm. we all come on here and speak very open. A lot of the time we're shouting trauma in the middle of our podcast because we talk about things that are vulnerable to us. Yeah. So it's, it feels really nice that you're able to come on as a guest and have that share that vulnerability with us and the audience. And it kind of feels like we've, in talking to you today, we've been on a journey. So like I, I feel like I knew what you were like five years ago yeah. and I now know what you are like now. And yeah. I think that, I just want to say, when you let go of, you, you said something earlier, like this um, album you released and it's you just letting go of it and you kind of wanted to get just get it over and done with and push it out. Mm-hmm. And to me, it feels like you're pushing away those bad memories that happened. Yes. And even if people are going to send you these tweets like little dickheads five years later, that's fine. That mm-hmm. is, that's really fine because even though you're, you might be upset about that younger version of you, mm-hmm. realistically, because you had to do all that research, it made you become closer to who your blackness is. Yeah. Because imagine if you never, you never tweeted that, you would have gone through this whole time now Still wanting to get your hair the little style. Well, there. exactly. <laughs> Still wanting to straighten it. Probably would have all fallen off and the Do you rest get what I mean? is history. <laughs> so, so like, being yeah. like, ending it on more of a positive note, what's like your long-term dream with your career? Like, what, what, Where do you want to see yourself going now in the next five years? Um, God, I'm sorry. I'm feeling emotional. Lately. It's okay, baby. We all cry. We all cry. Just podcast by now. Yes. No, I just just to add as well. I just felt like you know, it's it's like it's weird. It's hard to explain because I never didn't feel black. If that makes sense, like I always knew what I am, and my and my you know my mum and dad they. I'm mixed, obviously, so I just... They they taught me, you're mixed, and that's it. So I just grew up with this very, like, blunt way of thinking. But I always knew, like, that the world is going to see me like this and that I am black and that I look black and, you know, my culture is mixed, my heritage is mixed, but my upbringing also was predominantly Jamaican. I was raised by my Jamaican grandparents. South London group. So I just, I, I feel like when, when this was all happening, it, it like, I was so, I don't know, because I have all of that and I know myself or I knew myself pretty well at that point. But, um, there was just lots of things that I didn't know. It just made me sort of feel like, God, I've just, 
I don't actually know anything. You can be raised Jamaican and then still not be considered black by the black community. So I just, I don't know. I, I felt really, you know, kind of like a, a weight was lifted when I was able to, to just say like, oh my God, I fucked up. I'm really sorry. And I didn't, I didn't understand. Mm. We're all growing. <laughs> sorry. We're all growing. Yes. And grieve. Mm. <laughs> they, they, um, they say that the best things or the greatest things that people achieve are oftentimes out of the shame of things that they've done before. And mm. I think it's just really powerful for you to come and to hold yourself to account instead of waiting on somebody to come at you and, you know, for you to use this platform to, to hold yourself to be accountable. You know, and it shows that you're ready to like move forward with this great new album and this new journey with this new like, uh, you know, sense, sense of, of yeah, yeah, jinx, <laughs> jinx, padlock <laughs> thing. <laughs> but yeah, um, um it is uh, to answer your question though as well of the of my future goals, I, I don't know honestly, I, I've got a few. But um, one of them is obviously to continue making tunes and making stuff. Like, I love to draw and I love to paint and I want to get into all these other creative fields because it's just really fun and therapeutic. But also I love to express myself. Um, but also I just... I want to find a way to provide opportunities for black women in the UK to do to do more things to do more things particularly related to the music industry where I see that there is still a lot of inequality I want to see more black women playing instruments in bands I want to see more black women being sound people and lighting people tour managers managers um presidents of record companies uh, and I think it's possible to do that, but I just, I want to help in some way. That's my goal, really, because it's something I think about all the bloody time, mm. is how how can this be different? How can we make it appeal to black women? How do we, how do we, you know, get this, the message that you can do whatever um, into the, into schools and into places like that mm. i love that well we can't wait to see what you have coming up and we can't wait for everyone else to hear your album um because we love Thank it you. um so where where can people find you and where can people find your stuff as well um well usually you can find me on all the social media platforms i'm on instagram facebook twitter occasionally because I've been burned. Um, but I am there sometimes. Um, and also YouTube. I, I like to do uploads to my own channel and stuff. So that's fun. Um, and yeah, all my new music is out on Spotify and all of that stuff. Um, and if you are an analogue freak like myself, then my stuff is available on vinyl. The new album Ooh. is available to pre-order cool. on vinyl and if you're also into the signing thing i did some signing um so yeah i'm around also i'm playing a show <laughs> i'm doing one of those ones one of those live streamed gigs all right oh, amazing i shall be doing it as one woman show at the roundhouse on the 15th of july and you can buy tickets for it and I'm going to donate my personal proceeds to um, Black Lives Matter related charities that are close to my heart. Amazing. That's amazing. So, so cool. Thank you. We'll 15th of July. Share the information about Roundhouse um, on our platforms as well. Thank you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much um, for listening, guys. And thank you so much for being here, Leanne. Um, make sure you listen back every week to hear brand new episodes. 
like Liv said, make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you get them from. On Twitter and Facebook, we are Dope Black Women. And on Instagram, we're Dope Black Women 1. We'll be back with you next week. Until then, stay blessed and unapologetically black. All the way black. Blackity black. Blacktastic. Hey! <laughs> I love it. Wow. Thank you so much, ladies. This has been really lovely and special and thank you for yeah thank you Wake up in the morning. Thank God for light. Oh, who knows? Husband in the morning. Oh, I love it. Yeah, that's better. Oh, so look at you coming to out show me. You're done now. Teamwork and that makes a dream work and that gigs. <laughs> you're done now. Okay, my leg. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.